Hello and welcome to the Island Stories podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Hadfield. Three years ago, I came home to the island and started a new life, which really got me thinking. Each and every one of us living here has an island story. Last season, we spoke to some wonderful guests each with an extraordinary story to tell. And this year is no different. So let me introduce this week's guest, Frank Fletcher, CEO of the East Coast-based Ella MacArthur Cancer Trust, an incredible organisation which supports young people who've had treatment for cancer by getting them out on the water and discovering the joy of sailing and much more. Hey, Frank, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. First question we always ask on the podcast, very simply, why the island? Well, it wasn't it wasn't planned. So I came here in uh, 1998, uh, and I came to do a little bit of training at UKSA, and I just seemed to have stayed. So yeah, no big plan, no ever major decision that this was. I mean, I eventually made a decision because I came as a single guy, and then I now have a wife and two children here. So yeah, I came in 98 for a few weeks to do some training at UKSA, and one thing led to the other, and I've stayed, and I love it. And you consider yourself a, a, an islander now, I suppose. Do you know, I knew you were going to ask this question because I've listened to the podcast and I sort of do. But I also, I mean, I'm from London and I still consider myself a Londoner, but I do consider the island my home. And I think that's probably how I would describe it. Um, my kids were born here, so they are um, real islanders, um, as people like to remind me that I'm not. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I consider it home now um, and I love it. Uh but I, yeah, do I consider myself an islander? Oh, I don't know. That's a difficult one. I think probably still feel like I'm a Londoner living on the island. It's funny, isn't it, that even as a as a, such a tribal place, the island, and yet we still almost seek to divide ourselves between who's who was born here, who's lived here for long enough. I, I, I find it really interesting. It always sparks lots of interesting conversations. You said you've got your wife and your kids. Where do you live? Tell us a bit more about your sort of island family, your island life. So we live in cows, which I love. And I like cows. And I think one of the reasons I like cows is because it is so connected. So I, I, I think, um, you know, we, we drive around the island or we go somewhere and we think, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to live in Ventnor? And then it just it's that next step or wouldn't it be lovely to live somewhere out in the country? But I quite like the fact I still feel connected in cows. I could walk down and jump on the red jet and jump on a train and I still feel connected. So my my eldest has just left, uh, gone off to Bath. So we're at that funny stage where children start to um, start to head off. And then my youngest um, is still at home. Uh, we'll go to university probably next year. Um, was at Cows Enterprise College and is now at Brockenhurst College. So a sort of semi-flow in the nest. So, yeah, we're about to be just the two of us on the island, which will be lovely. How's their childhood been? I mean, I often ask people about this, particularly when they've got older kids, because my kids are really, really young, and I can see all the benefits to obviously tipping them out onto the beach. But for older children, how's it been for them? Yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting and good question. So I think that... In terms of childhood up till 13, 14, I think living on the island is just fantastic. I think that as they get older, I think particularly for my youngest, being able to go to you know, a sixth form college on the mainland has, has been really good for them. I think that it's enabled them to spread those wings. You know, we really do live in the most idyllic, yeah, beautiful do. place. So I think it's a great place, but I think it's probably also important that, that children, when they get to sort of 17, 18, that they go off and they see a bit of the world and I think that maybe then I mean I, I want my 
kids to do whatever makes them happy. But, you know, I think I think it's quite healthy to go off and do other things and then maybe to come back if you want to come back. There's that kind of circular thing, though, as well, where you probably secretly hope that they'll come back and raise their children. Well, certainly my parents always did. And that's exactly what what I've ended up doing. I'm not sure I'm going to put that on a public podcast, um, <laughs> no. which they might listen to. So, um, but yeah, no, I think it, it, I think it is a great place to bring children up. I just think living by the sea is something very special, being able to... I mean, I don't have a sea view by any means, but when you walk out of my front door and turn left, you know, you, you, you get to see the shape. And it is you know, something very special about every morning, you know, just walking down the hill and and just being able to look out. I, I find there's something about looking out to the sea that's incredibly special. Well, I think we, we're we going to talk a lot more about the trust, but that's probably at the essence of it, the sort of therapeutic powers, uh, the inspirational powers of being near the water. Um, on that subject, I've read about you that you're massively into your sort of outdoor pursuits. So the island's perfect for that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, yeah, I mean, I love getting outdoors, but even just things like going for a run, there's so many nice places to go for a run on the island. You drive five minutes out of cows or newport or ride or sandown and shankton and you can be in beautiful countryside you, there's a choice of beautiful beaches you can walk down the road for two minutes and go for a swim there's something really special about that in the summer or you can get up early and go for a paddleboard so i just want to introduce the trust to people just in case they don't know much about it we're going to talk about how you got involved with it a little bit later on but You've been running it for 18 years. I know, I know. There'll be people going, God. <laughs> That's an awfully long time. And I think I've known you almost that yep. entire amount of time as well. Every day, 12 young people in this country under the age of 24 diagnosed with cancer. Yep. So that, I think, is the first thing just to introduce to people. Because unless you've been touched by it, unless you've known families or you are a family that's experienced it it's probably something i think people tuck in the back of their minds and and and, and almost hope just doesn't really happen but it yep. absolutely does yeah so that i've been involved with the trust i mean we met through the trust you made that wonderful video which i still think by the way is the best promotional video we've ever made um it really is and it was lovely and that's how we got to know each other yeah dan who features in that video is is still involved with the trust he now skippers for us and that's a you know, we could perhaps come on to that story later. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. I was working at UKSA and um, I knew Ellen and I knew Mark Turner. They had, Ellen had been to France and she'd sailed with a, a charity that does exactly what the Trust does. I'm really hoping no one speaks French because my French is so <laughs> awful. But uh, you could probably say, so. do you speak French? I do a bit. A chasson sans cap. How am I supposed to pronounce that? Everyone has a goal. There you go. Look, it wasn't too bad. It was terrible. Um, (laughs) You can take the boy out of London. You can't take London out of the boy. So Ellen went sailing (laughs) with this wonderful charity and then came back and wanted to set something up in the UK. And I was working at UKSA for a wonderful man, uh, David Green. You know, Ellen and Mark said to Dave, you know, we want to set this up. And and Dave said to me, why don't you get involved with this, Frank? I think it's right up your street. I was a volunteer with the trust, did a bit of skippering, was a trustee for the first two years. And then we got to the point where really the trust needed a full-time manager at that stage. And I was working on a project at the time, uh, the Gypsy Moth project. And I sort of had to make a decision about, do I want to continue to be involved in the project as it goes around the world, which would be another two years of, of quite intense work, or actually was now the time to do something slightly different. And at that point, Ellen and Mark felt that it was time to have somebody full-time and yeah, Ellen 
came and said to me, do you fancy it? And it was a very difficult thing to say no to. Yeah, well, and, and 18 years later, here we are. Um, the main activity then, if you could explain, if you were yeah. sort of down the pub and someone said, all right, give me a couple of sentences of what the trust is all about, what would you say to them? I mean, it's about re-engaging young people. So you talked about 12 young people and um, thanks to, to, to the you know medicine and science and the wonderful health service actually the vast majority of those will come through treatments i mean the very sadly there are still young people who don't and there are some cancers that we really do need to do more research on treatment for but but for a lot of young people for the vast majority of young people they'll come through treatment and at that point they're sort of back to normal and and off they go and but that's really hard because you've spent so you know if you're a boy diagnosed with leukemia your treatment will be three years um, you know, even if it's a cancer that the treatment is is shorter, it's still going to have been nine, twelve months of your life. That's traumatic for a, yeah, for, for a young person. Yeah, absolutely, and for the family, yeah. and for for however long you've been in treatment, all of your focus is on getting through treatment. You know, get through treatment. You know, ring the bell, go back to normal, and actually, what happens for some young people, not all young people. But for for a lot of young people, they get to the end of treatment and actually they go, I don't know what normal is anymore. And also, depending on the age when they were diagnosed, life could have moved on. So, you know, if you're diagnosed, we work with young people from 8 to 24. But, you know, if you're diagnosed in the first year of university and you, you drop out of university to then have treatment and then suddenly you go back to university, but you're two years older than everyone else or if you're in the middle of A-levels or GCSEs or you're about to move to secondary school or you've just moved to secondary school or, you know, you're just changing, you know, life and your your peers have moved on and therefore you feel different. You've had different experiences and it's very difficult then to move, to go straight back into employment or straight back into education or straight back to your friends. And you may have lost some of your friends. And actually some of your friends might be people that you met through treatment. So it's really hard. So what we do is we try and get young people using outdoors, sailing on the first time that we work with young people, to try and get them to re-engage in employment, education and with sort of society as a whole. And how we do that is really through young people learning through young people and having fun and the fun element is really important so we bring them together and you've seen this because 18 years ago you came and filmed it and it's very (laughs) difficult to describe to someone who hasn't seen it you know young people come and they live on a boat they sleep on a boat they cook on a boat and there's a little family so we normally have four or five boats that go out of time yachts 35 40 foot yachts and we'll have five young people on those boats and then we'll have three adults so a skipper a mate and then either somebody, a crew leader or a medic. And increasingly at the Trust, those three adults will be adults who also accessed our services as a young person. So we have about 80 young people or 80 volunteers now who were young people who accessed our services. So young people who have cancer will meet other young people who have cancer, but they won't meet adults who had cancer as a young person. So we bring those people together, put them on a boat, which becomes a little family, and then it's entirely up to them what they do. So some young people come on our trips and they never talk about their cancer. And we don't do sort of sitting around, it's not a psychological camp. We have some young people who come and they never talk about their cancer, but they get a huge amount by just being with other young people who have also been through the same experience, but they get to just to have a break from being 
Johnny who had cancer or Johnny who we have to look after or Johnny who's not allowed to do this. And then other young people come and actually what they find they want is that they want to talk about their cancer with other young people who've been through the same experience. And, and the secret to the trust is we create this safe family environment, which is very easy to do on a boat and anyone who's sailed you know, knows that. And within that safe family environment, we just give people the opportunity to just be normal again. So, you know, we have young people who come and say, you know, I just I haven't, been, I haven't been allowed to cook since I came home because everyone wants to look after me. And now, you know, the best thing about this week has been that I got to cook lasagna. And we have other young people who come and they really get into the sailing. And then we get young people who come and actually it's just about sitting in the cockpit, talking to people. We talked earlier about looking out to sea, you know, just being on the water is incredibly therapeutic. We just bring these young people together and... We, what we're trying to do is improve their mental well-being. So you talked about trauma. I don't think there's any doubt that going through treatment is traumatic. And, and what we now do is measure, and we'll come on to this later, we measure mental well-being using an academically rigorous tool. And you can go on our website and have a look at that. But yeah, we just try and bring young people together and then and then they become this peer support group. And we work with those young people in the long term. So in practical terms, um, you do the sailing trips and they're not just on the island now, up in no. Scotland as well. Yeah, so we, we are a charity based on the island, but we're, we're definitely not an island charity. We've got, we, you know, we work with some young people on the island, but thankfully there are very few young people on the island who would be eligible to access our services because, you know, it is one in 12, but that's still, it's, mm. it's, it's rarer than adult cancers. So yeah, so we work on the island and we work, we've got a base up in Scotland on the west coast of Scotland in Largs which is a very beautiful place. If anyone ever gets the chance, I highly recommend the West Coast of Scotland. Yeah, I've sailed there. It is oh, it's just amazing. Yeah, really I mean, stunning. I have to say, um, yeah, it's very special. We work with young people from across the UK. And, you know, we take young people sailing from Birmingham and London and Sheffield and Manchester and, you know, across the country. Yeah. And, you know, everyone in Birmingham and north of Birmingham goes to Largs and everyone south of Birmingham comes to the Isle of Wight. And the Isle of Wight's very special for us because there's something, you know, I mean, this podcast is about island stories and so I'm sort of preaching to convert it, but there's something <laughs> very special about coming to an island. And actually, I think young people feel that. They feel that it, it feels special to be on an island. I think that ferry, there's something about that ferry. I mean, we all know that sometimes, you know, missing <laughs> that ferry is not the greatest no. thing in the world. <laughs> But actually, there is something really special about getting on a ferry and knowing that that's part of your going home. And I think equally for people who come on a holiday or come and do an Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust trip, which is definitely not a holiday, but there's something special about that stretch of water that means you're coming into something that feels slightly different. It's a sense of separation, isn't it? Absolutely. Which I would imagine. I mean, you, you must have now met thousands of young people who've been through treatment for cancer, who've been through this experience. And you must have such a kind of wide picture of, you know, you couldn't ever pigeonhole what that experience is no. like or how they come to you and also how they leave you. That's what I'm really interested in, the sort of the change that you must see. Yeah, absolutely. So I think every young person is unique. I think there are some, there are some themes that we see. So I think um, you talked about trauma. I think that there's some work to be done on this, but I increasingly feel, and there's lots of other people in the sort of teenage and young adult cancer world who feel that actually we don't understand enough and I think a number of young people we meet and a number of their families have gone you know are suffering from post-traumatic stress I think there's no doubt about that there's not 
there's not the research yet in that. So I think there's some things. We see young people who have definitely had trauma. I think one of the sad things that I see is we see a lot of young people with survivor guilt. We see young people who, you know, went through treatment and, and, and may have lost uh, someone they met through treatment or a friend they made through treatment. And we do see a lot of that. And I think that's really difficult. And I don't think there's a simple answer to that. I think it's very easy to sort of dismiss it. And I think that actually we don't understand enough about survivor guilt. We definitely see themes of young people being really quite fearful of relapse. And then I think we see a, 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 an understanding of the late effects. So there are a number of late effects from cancer treatment, you know, everything from fertility to, um, you know, and we have young people who have bone diseases that you shouldn't get until you're in your 80s. So there, there are those sort of themes of things that we see sort in Sort of people. side effects maybe of some of the treatment. Absolutely. Or, so, so yeah, yeah, so the fertility is a treatment issue. Chemotherapy is poison. I mean, and, and actually giving somebody poison when they're very young is, yeah. you know, is going to have late effects. So we see those sort of themes. As I say, every young person is unique. And then the other thing you have to add in is we work with a lot of young people who are also teenagers. Yes. So actually you've got <laughs> young people with all of this going on and then you just throw in the whole teenage, you know, thing yeah. into the middle of it and the young adult thing. And I think, you know, being a young adult it's now tough is time. tough. Very tough. And I think what we've increasingly become aware of over the 18 years is that actually we're not a psychological camp. We're not going to sit around in with bean bags and talk about our feelings but that happens with some groups of young people very naturally on a boat around a table with a hot chocolate led by them but what we are realizing is that increasingly what we change is young people's mental well-being so you asked about the change that we yeah. that we see so we've started using something called the edinburgh warwick scale which is a well-being scale that's used by lots of people in health in charity and education it's an academically rigorous scale you you have to you know be licensed to use it you can't change the questions you have to so we what we do is we ask young people seven questions just before they come on the trip then we ask them the same seven questions two weeks after and then we ask them the same seven questions 90 days after and what that has demonstrated to us is that we can say with confidence that we have a positive impact on young people's mental well-being not only two weeks after but that continues to the 90 days and that's so the difference we see is in young people's mental well-being. And just before we started recording, we were talking about resilience. Yes. And actually that's part of, you know, that mental well-being is all about how people view themselves, how they feel. So what the change we see is in that sort of young people feeling that actually they're better equipped to then go back into those things I talked about at the beginning around education, around, you know, work. Because, you know, some young people, when they come to us, they've already started work you know, re-engaging in society, feeling that they can go and do the things that they were planning to do or the things that they've planned to do since treatment. So that's 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 the difference we see. What is it, do you think, about sailing that's had such an impact on these young people's lives that, that, that you see? I think there's lots of things that sailing does. So I think one of the great things for us is that because we're on a slightly larger yacht, young people can get involved or they don't have to. So we have young people who absolutely adore sailing, maybe adored sailing before treatment, and then they're attracted for the trust because of that. But what's great about what we do with boats is is you can we can involve people as much as we can, and our skippers can choose the day they're going to have. So if you've got that boat full of boisterous sixteen-year-olds who all are absolutely up for it, and let's go and let's do, it, you know, you can beat up to the needles and you know 
have a really good day sailing and they can get fully into it and they can all be sitting on the rail and you know the sailor sailors of this listeners of this podcast will now have this image of you know like let's go for it let's really go but then equally if you've got a boat of you know young people who are actually you know they're all maybe slightly closer out of treatment and maybe actually they want to take things slower and smoother and actually it's about spending some time together and and having quite a gentle day you know those both those boats can be in limited and quite often will be and one can go beating up to windward to the needles and the other can just put the headsail out as a bit of a handkerchief and can sail gently down to Newtown Creek pick up a boy in Newtown Creek have a really nice gentle lunch and motor back to Yarmouth later that day so the great thing for us around sailing is we can create that safe family atmosphere that I talked about earlier, but we can also, you know, you can dial it up or you can dial it down. And then there is just something special about being on the water. You know, you know it. I mean, I learned to, you learned to sail, I imagine, here in Sydney. I did, yeah. Um, I had a slightly different experience. I learned to sail in Surrey Docks in, in London, not quite as picturesque as Seaview, particularly at that time. Um, <laughs> I'm the only person you can thank the GLC and Ilya and Ken Livingston for getting into sailing. <laughs> Yeah, you um, might be. I, I am. I, I am. I think I am. Um, it might be my claim to fame. So, but there is something, you know, even like, I mean, I love sailing. I don't sail as much as I should these days. But there is something very special about getting a boat to go where you want it to go, only using the wind. That's that's incredibly powerful. And, and you know, empowering. It is empowering. Yeah. And actually, one of the things that we do hear young people talk about is, you know, like, I mean, our skippers are great and we leave the dock at East Cows, but literally within two minutes leaving the dock, it's a young person on the helm. There will only be young people on the helm for the whole of the rest of the trip, apart from perhaps when we park the boats at the end of the night. So it is empowering and there is something about I'm steering this really big boat and the sails are up and, you know, I've got it just right that actually all of us who've ever sailed a boat can relate to that's that is incredibly empowering you know we can again dial it up or dial it down to making every young person get to the end of the day and and feel like i've really achieved something i've really got somewhere that's what's very special about sailing i love the passion i knew i knew this would be a brilliant podcast i know you really well but i love the passion when you talk about it it just really makes it let's go back then it's that time in the podcast where we go back and talk about life before the Isle of Wight, which I don't know much about. Oh, wow, uh, I didn't know we were going to do this. <laughs> you said you've listened to the podcast before. I have, I didn't know I'd get to do this as well. <laughs> you went to school in Lewisham, so South East yep. London. Yep. As you've said, you've touched upon a very, very different upbringing to the one that your children have had here. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I grew up in South London. Yeah, which I, and I still, and I said at the beginning of the podcast, I still feel myself as a Londoner. Yeah, so I think it was a very different upbringing for my kids here. And there's something about the island that's very special to have a young family. So it was very different. As I, said, I learned to sail in Surrey Dock, so we yeah. did we did sport every Wednesday afternoon. You had a, a, a rotor of what you did. You couldn't yeah. just do football forever, which would have probably made me happy. I literally got put on a on a on a bus and went to Surrey Docks, which then was now it's now Surrey Keys, and it was. Probably just at the point that they were starting the development of Dock of the Docklands, where so, they have the boat show now. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they had these very beaten up old toppers, and I just I got the bug. You know, I look back on it, and you know, this topper was probably twenty years of age. I'm sure it leaked. There is something really special about it's that being focus on a boat. as well. Absolutely, isn't it? yeah. You, you can't think about anything yeah. else. Yeah. It's about being completely in the present. 
you know, you can't think about anything else. Can't worry about anything else. Can't worry else. about anything else. You know, people could spend a lot of time meditating to, to, to get to that <laughs> level same of being in the present. I've always said my happy place is sailing my little wooden CVD. Because you've got a little CVD, yeah, you? Yeah, hand-built so in I the love, village. I love them. And that's a happy place for me, yeah. which I think is why I've always understood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The trust. Yeah. No, and you're right. There because... is that moment of just... And the sound and the wind... And that sort of, yeah, it is very special. So when was it that you came down to the Isle of Wight and started working for UKSA? So I came in 98. So I came, did a, did a bit of training at UKSA and then started working with UKSA, which so, I really enjoyed. Yeah, pretty early in your life then. Yeah, like that was, yeah. So, yeah. And, I, and, I, and previously to that, I um, basically ran a couple of pubs in London. And wow. um, I think everyone should go and work behind a bar for a period of their life, even if it's just for a couple of weeks, because I think you learn more about people and human nature and human nature <laughs> standing behind a bar than you will learn anywhere else you talked about mark turner and lots of people won't know who he is I've, I've done some work with him an absolutely formidable man um genius fundraisers money raiser uh, he was really the in some ways the sort of commercial brains behind ellen MacArthur's round the world trip and that brings us to that point of you knew ellen you knew Mark and they wanted to put the trust together. What what do you think was their sort of vision for it in those days? So very unlike Ellen and Mark, I think at that point they didn't have a vision, actually. And both of them are people who always have a yeah. big vision. Just a nugget of an idea. Yeah. Um, so I think at that point they knew, they knew, they. I think Ellen in particularly wanted to recreate what she'd seen in France. So she had a real desire. And I think Mark had a real desire to to do the same but I don't think they had a vision of exactly where we were going to go I think what we've ended up doing and what we're now able to prove through this um, well-being scale is that we do something that makes a real difference but I don't think we realised at the time we didn't sort of sit down and come up with this master plan of you know if we do this this is what we can create we knew we wanted to create something on a boat we had the beginnings of it, yeah. but it really developed it. But no, I don't think there was a massive vision. And there it wasn't... started off with just a few a few boats. You skippered some of the trips yeah, before yeah, you start... took over running it. Um, just to give an idea, in 2005, so just two years after it started yeah. and when you took over, you took 44 yeah. young people sailing. And then in 2019, and I'm going back to 2019 just because COVID Free makes COVID, it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, you took 649 yeah. young people sailing. It's and like, in three years' time, we want story. to be at 1,000. So we want yeah. to be, so our vision now is to be at 1,000 young people. So we work with about 9% of the young people we could, and we'd like to get that to, to 1,000 young people, which would be about 16%. Um, so that's young people working with for the first time. Um, on a first-time trip. Yeah, we, we support young people for four or five years if they want us to. Some young people come, they come once, it's all they need, they get what they need, off they go. Yeah. Some young people we work with for two or three years, some young people we work with for a little bit longer, it's what they need, it's led by them. And success is, is you know, we don't define success by how long or how short someone's no. interaction with the trust is because actually if someone comes once and off they go, that's great. If someone comes three or four times and then they've got what they need, that's equally as great. How involved is Ellen now in the sort of day-to-day running of the trust? What Ellen really likes to do is to come and jump on a boat and go sailing with some young people. So that's 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 the involvement that Ellen really enjoys. Yeah, and, and I then think, occasionally um... I say, not occasionally, quite often I say to her, oh, "We just come and do this, or we just come and do that." So yeah, so Ellen's Ellen's massively involved. It's really important. 
really That's important definitely part. a big part of her personality, yeah, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. did a lot of work with her, which led me to you yeah, guys as yeah. well. Um, and she's definitely someone who'd much rather mm. be sailing than she yeah, would be doing yeah. the kind of the more kind of corporate, not yeah. corporate, but you know, yeah. the and um, and interviews. Which which kind of brings me to to the next thing, which is you mentioned the promo that we made. For yeah, the trust, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, which is how we met. Yeah. Um, actually, through Joe Grindley, who yeah, I interviewed on the podcast Hello. last year. And um, she wanted to get a promo made. That's it right. It was 2007, so the trust was a few years, three or four years old. It was for um, our Cowsweet Ball. It was for the Cowsweet Ball, for a and fundraiser. It, it I was, was really young, Frank. I was about 23. Um, and I was given this job, and it was just fantastic. So we went out sailing with, um, with all the young people. Yeah. We went out sailing with Ellen. Um, but we also spent quite a lot of time at Great Ormond Street. You did, yeah, with Emma and Dan. With Emma and Dan, who was And such Dan's now stars. one of our skippers. I know, and I just think that. And Emma's in doing itself. really well. And, and, and yeah, she's Does he doing live well. on the island? So Dan doesn't live on the island. Dan oh, still lives in Essex. But, um, he, he could have been a podcast guest. He could have been a podcast oh. Well, I keep trying to, yeah. So, um, well, as soon as he moves down here. I mean, I Dan's will. a great story. So, Dan was, uh, uh, you know, an amazing young man. I love Dan to bits. So he came sailing with us when he was about 15, 16, and um, he'd had uh, leukaemia, had a really rough time. Dan came sailing with us, didn't really want to come sailing, was persuaded by his hospital to come sailing. He was, uh, at the time, he was a big footballer. Um, he was, you know, in that sort of academy trials bit of his life, got cancer, all of that stopped. Yeah, so he came sailing with us, and, and which was great, and then very sadly, Dan relapsed. It was about the second year we were doing around the island race. I was skippering and Dan was on my boat and he literally relapsed about two days before around the island race. And we had a long conversation about, did he want to come? And he said, yeah, I really want to come. And well, you remember the video, you did that wonderful interview with Dan. We managed to get around the Island Sailing Club, much to their credit. We phoned someone up and we said, can we change the name of the skipper? And they, and we explained the situation with Dan and we basically changed the name of the skipper from me to, to Dan Monk. So... Dan, I think, is probably the only person who's ever skippered around the island race, having only done four days sailing. <laughs> and we did um, we did round the island race with with Dan. He came and sailed around the island with us. It was a great day, and gave him the tankard at the end of the day. And um, you know, and, and off he went. And you interviewed him at Great Ormond Street, and he'd had his bone marrow transplant. Yeah. Which so is I just a, I watched it. I watched the video back last such a great night video. in preparation. It's, it's the best it's, video we've ever done. I still cry, by the way. Yeah, I definitely. We put um, Coldplay "Fix You" as the right. as the soundtrack, which just I still can't really hear that song. No, without I'm, I'm neither can Ellen, Dan's neither can I. And, Literally, and if I hear that song, if I, and yeah. I'm just funny, Ellen talks about Ellen's involvement. Ellen texted me about two years ago. Uh, actually just poor full Covey said I've just walked into a shop and they're playing Fix You oh. and I just it made, took me straight back well so we interviewed Dan in his hospital bed I mean I still remember who was my cameraman you know it was just one of yeah. those things that you do Such in your life video. that's so important and he was in his hospital bed and he was talking about looking forward to getting back yeah. out on the water and he said every time I feel really down I just think back to when I was out on the boat yeah as soon as I'm a bit better I'm going to go sailing straight away. I love it. It is. And that is such a powerful quote. And I think, um, I, I'll, I'll check, but I think that video is still on our YouTube channel. It is. I watched it, on, I watched it last so night. We should definitely put I a link in that. I went Googling. Yes. That is, we should put we a link should, in that yeah, into the, into into the, the podcast notes. in the show notes. Let's um, definitely do that. But Dan then, so Dan went through treatment and relapsing with leukaemia is, is um, that's pretty serious, you know. That's that's you know you, that's not good. And Dan had a really rough time. Well, I remember a, there was a sense. Yeah, no, that he, he was, really might not get. No, to no. It. I mean, you know, it, it was pretty. He went through a rough time. 
He got a bone marrow transplant. So anyone who's listening to this podcast, he's under 30. Anthony Noland, go and sign up. You swab your inside of your cheek, just like doing a COVID test, and you send it off and you could be a bone marrow donor for people. Oh, wow. It's painless to do. You know, it's really easy to do. There's no help for you, but we need more people on the bone marrow register. So please go and look at Anthony Nolan. Call for action. Um, anyway, Dan got a he got a bone marrow uh, donor, not a family member. So a bone marrow from Germany, as it happened. Um, and Dan went through treatment. And then we, we did that video. And then Ellen managed to get him a, a, a spot to do a couple of the bits of the Clipper Around the World race. And he went and did the Clipper race. Very uh, generous donor supported Dan in doing um, his Yachtmaster. You know, this... Um, you know, boy from Essex. Yeah, he was and he was an unlikely failure when I met him. just great. And now yeah. he skippers for us. Yeah. Now Dan is, I hate to say we are old, Harriet, because Dan's <laughs> now in his are. 30s. Oh, what? Next time he's on the island skipping, you should come and say hello. We I'd should do that. that. And, um, yeah, I'd really love that. But the great thing about Dan is that Dan's that perfect role model. Because if you're a 15-year-old boy yeah. and you've had leukaemia and you're thinking about what can I do in life, and then you meet Dan, and Dan doesn't sort of, you know, announce at the beginning of the week that he was... He was a young person who served the trust. He had treatment, but at some point that will come up. And imagine being a 15-year-old boy who meets, you know, a 35-year-old Dan, and Dan's a big strapping man now. And, and yeah, and they meet Dan, and they look at Dan at 35, and they think, I can achieve whatever it is. It might not be skippering, yeah. but whatever I want to achieve. And the fact that Dan relapsed and, and still went on and came through that, and, yeah, so... Um, yeah, and it's a great video, and I have to say, it is, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, I say it to lots of people, it is my favourite promo that we ever did. No, I'll probably, I'll probably never do anything in my career as uh, as worthwhile again, but um, sure it, was, it was a massive, massive privilege we'll come to come back do and it. do another one. Yes, let's do it. I love that. I just want to kind of finish up then with looking at the future of the Trust. I mean, obviously, you've come through the pandemic, which is very, very difficult, I know you did a virtual summer, so yep, we did. lots of things online, which is yep. fantastic. And I know that you've just released kind of your new ambitions. Yep. So what can you tell me in a nutshell about what's, what's I think coming up? There's a couple of things that we want to do. So I think we want to grow. So we want to get to a thousand young people. Um, I'm not sure I'm supposed to publicly say that. So I may just have... I'm Around a thousand. Around a thousand. <laughs> um, I'll get told off when this goes out. So we want to grow, but we want to keep the magic as we grow. And we want to build some belonging. So one of the things that we know is that although we work across the UK, we're not as representative of young people with cancer as we should be. And we need to do some work around how we make sure that every young person feels they belong at the trust. So one of the things that we learned in COVID is that actually we can support young people all year round and not just on the water. So we started a partnership with an organisation called Mind Over Cancer, which again comes back to this improving young people's yeah. mental well-being. So one of the things that we'll do in the next three years is we'll, we'll grow our numbers, we'll keep the magic, we will make sure that every young person feels they belong at the trust and we will do some all year round support, which won't be on the water, but will mean that we can support people all year round. I love that idea of keeping the magic. Yeah. That is exactly because, you know, you can't lose that speciality of yeah. you and I sitting here talking about Dan and Emma and knowing Dan and Emma. Now, that I can't remember every young person now, but we need to make sure that there are people in the organisation that do, and that's part of keeping the magic. Okay, finally, on the episode, we ask all our guests a quick-fire round of five things about the island. So I know you've listened before, so you know what they are. I'm not answering one of them. What? <laughs> you can't start like that. Come on, right. 
Number one, your favourite place to grab a bite to eat. Without any doubt, smoking lobster. Oh, which one? It uh, doesn't actually matter. I think okay. both were as good as each other. And they're I mean, about we to open going, a new one. And they're about to open a new one. We were going to Ventnor before they opened in Cows. I prefer Cows because then we don't have to either get a bus or decide who's going to drive. So probably Cows because then I can walk back up the hill. But yeah, they're just great. I love smoking lobster. If you haven't been, go. It's great. We went on a date last week. It's great. Uh, my boyfriend and I too, the one in Ventnor. So good, good choice. Okay, number two, your favourite beach. So Compton, uh, low tide. Okay. Uh, in the winter when there's not many people there. So okay. just that like winter walk along Compton, low water. All the rocks exposed. All the rocks. Yeah. Uh, and also it's where I got engaged. So oh, uh, wow. I asked my wife to marry me on Compton. So but I couldn't come on this and say any other beach. <laughs> but yeah, no, Compton, low water in the winter, that lovely walk, you know, on a sunny, bright, sunny, but cold day. You can't beat it. Your number one island activity. Oh, do you, I really struggle with this. Do I have to do one? Yeah, absolutely. Something outdoors. Um, <laughs> not going to allow me that. I think probably swimming in the sea. Yeah. Okay. I think I think probably, but I love everything: walking, running, paddleboarding. So yeah. Now we know the answer to this. Which no, you island don't actually. Cha- oh no! Wait. Okay. 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 Which island charity is closest to your heart? So I think, although the trust is a charity based on the island, I don't think it is an island charity because okay, we only enough. work with a few young people and it has to be the hospice and I loved your um, episode with Nigel in fact I was re-listening to it this morning and it has to be the hospice I think the hospice does some amazing things I think the work that Nigel's trying to do and actually I've just you know like everyone on the island you know I have friends who were looked after there and I have friends who were looked after by the hospice after their loved ones died and I think what the hospice does is really special so I'm assuming this is the one you were. I'm not, not going to share it because then everyone will go. Number five, hidden gem. Come on, no one's listening. It's fine. No, you've got Just loads a few of thousand people. You've got loads of listeners. Not sharing. Yeah. I think what I would say is I'm not answering <laughs> because one of the reasons I love my hidden gem is because I go there and there's no one there. But I think actually the hidden gem that I'm going to give you, which is um, last year for holiday, for our we had a week off me and my wife last year, and actually what we did is we did the coastal path. But we did it in five sections and we did it using the buses to get back and forth every day. So oh, my hidden yeah. gem is going to be, because I'm not giving away my real hidden gem, because I want to keep it to myself because I'm selfish like that. <laughs> is, um, We're learning a lot want, about Don't Frank want lots now. of people there. Not, not as good a guy um, as we thought. No, exactly. Um, but actually my <laughs> hidden gem is that you can do the coast path and you can do it by... By, and actually, it works quite well on the buses. So, hang on, are you actually doing any walking at all? No, so no, what you do is you walk, yeah, obviously, yes. <laughs> so, what you do is you walk. So, we walked from our front door on yeah. day one and we walked to Yarmouth. And then, when we got to Yarmouth, we got on a bus, came home, had an evening at home. And then the next day, we got a bus back to exactly the same bus stop in Yarmouth. And then we walked the next section, oh. then got a bus home. And we took five days because we had a couple of long lunches in that. And it's really great. Okay. And the coast path, if you haven't done it and done the whole thing, yeah. is an amazing walk. Yeah, that does sound good. Okay. I still want to know what your hidden gem is. Maybe this is a new feature, Alex, for season three, where it's sort of guess guess the island hidden gem yeah, for the guests right. that don't want to share. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Frank, thank you Pleasure. so much. It's been amazing to get to know you even better and hear your island story. If you want more island news, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, 5-stories.co.uk. I'm Harriet Hadfield. My producer is Alex Warren. You'll find us on Instagram at Island Stories Podcast. And we'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode. Until then, goodbye.